Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Thursday morning. And I think, as we've been doing for a while, we need to start out with some football. We need to get to some basketball at some point. Is the NBA draft a week from today? It's six days away now, isn't it? We're inside of a week. Yuck, we're going to need some draft experts. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to get geared up on this. We're going to have to bone up on this. It's so weird. The NBA draft and the Masters with all this football going on in the fall. My head's exploding. It's crazy. I was watching football Tuesday night because there was nothing on. And for whatever reason, I flipped on a Mac game. Well, okay, I flipped it on because it was on ESPN. And it was Maction. And I don't know why, but it just doesn't hold my attention. So I flip over to ESPN2 figuring, hey, maybe I can watch some uh, tape poker or something. I don't know. <laughs> maybe there'll be a, a Masters preview or something. And you know what there was? There was another Mac game. I'm thinking, wow. I think they got half the league playing Tuesdays and half the league playing Wednesdays. I wonder if the third game's on ESPN News. So I flip over there and I flip to ESPNU. And then uh, I go to the CBS Sports Network, and there it is, the third Mac game. (coughs) So they hit halftime, though, or maybe it was the end of the game, and they go to their studio show, and I got distracted doing something. I went over and changed the channel, but they were in a discussion that fascinated me because we had it months ago. And it took months, but they finally agree with me. And the panel, for a series of reasons, and I think they had five guys up there. Rick Neuheisel will be the one you you recognize here. former UCLA quarterback and coach and Washington coach and Colorado coach and did the Pac-12 network and they went there to CBS, which you see him on the SEC games on the weekend, but he does the weeknight stuff with them on the CBS Sports Network. And he and the other guys on the panel were all making the point for different reasons that everybody else in sports is being flexible, right? The NFL is shuffled and rescheduled games. They played on Mondays and They'll do whatever they have to do. They've moved bye weeks around. College football has done that. They've reset their schedule and reset it again. And in the case of the SEC, set up bye weeks and they move championship games back two weeks. And the only people who haven't been flexible in all this are the college football playoff. Golf is flexible. We got the Masters in November. (laughs) Baseball's flexible. They changed the playoffs and put a runner at second base. But college football playoffs... What a stubborn group of people. At least to date, maybe they'll be flexible. But their point, and I have been uh, a firm believer in this from the get-go, is that they should get the college football season in, and if it takes 15 or 20 weeks to play the college football season, well, then so be it. It takes 15 or 20 weeks to play the season. And just because one time they go into the next semester, which I personally don't think that is that big a deal, and I think that depending on the school, they've already done it for the college football playoff game. Um, but having said that, uh, why not move the playoffs back to the 23rd and the 30th? Or if you want to go with a Monday night game, you know, January 31st, or I guess that'd be February 1st. There are TV windows available. You can't move them back one or two weeks, right? If you move off the New Year's Day date, you run into the NFL playoffs. But once you get to the conference title game in mid to late January, you could have a doubleheader on Saturday. You could go to the next weekend, the week before the Super Bowl. When there's no football, they've already canceled the Pro Bowl. You could play Saturday or Sunday if you wanted. You could 
put the championship game on the Saturday before the Super Bowl or on the Monday night after the Super Bowl. And you could give all these conferences another two to three weeks to get games in. And this is becoming an issue as you see the SEC, who tried to be flexible and tried to be aggressive, right? The SEC was far more aggressive than the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the Mountain West and the MAC. And they set up this 10-game schedule, and they built buys in. Well, they've now moved games into the buys. And they left that week before their title game on the 19th to play in the 12th. And they've now filled that up. And we're seeing more than half the league is going to be sitting this weekend. And I know some of you upset, and, and uh, you know Frank Dolce has been really upfront on this. It's not just BYU and Utah State fans who want to crack on the Utes in the Pac-12. You fans think the Pac-12 hasn't been aggressive enough, and why did they waste at least a couple weeks once they had the game-changing test, right? If they, they Everybody knew about that at the same time, and yet the Big Ten and the Mountain West, who were very careful, got back two weeks before the Pac-12. So, Pac-12, what's the problem? What are you doing? But the SEC was aggressive. 10 games, and they built them bye weeks, and they filled them up. And they're going to need more weeks, or they're going to miss games. That's clear. But the problem is the college football playoff won't move. And to me, there's a perfect opportunity to move this thing back three or four weeks and play in that window, either on the Saturday of the conference championship games or the week between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl. And you want a Monday night title game anyway, and you'll be accommodated because that game does major ratings. They'll move anything to make way for that title game. So... Why not push the college football playoff back? Here's the deal. We're seeing this outbreak, which I can't even keep track. First, it was one SEC game. Then it was two. Then it was three. Now it's over half the league. Four of the seven games. Wait, maybe it's going to be more than that. We'll have to see how it shakes out um, by the time we get to Saturday. But there's a there's a thing that a lot of these outbreaks are coming because now we are... Uh, a couple weeks past, I guess, what are we? The, today's the uh, 12th, right? And you look at Halloween, and there were Halloween parties. Well, what's going to happen when people get together for Thanksgiving and Christmas? You can tell people not to, but people are going to. Well, it was just family. But if one family member has it, and you're not going to be masked up while you're eating, and there's going to be, depending on your family, 4, 8, 12, 20 people around the table. I don't know. It depends on how your family and how you do it. Um, you know, there's going to be more outbreaks. There, people are going to have Christmas parties just like they had Halloween parties. So it's going to happen. You know, if the SEC, who's been as aggressive as anyone, can have at least four of their seven games not happen, it can happen to anyone. So they were really pushing to move these games back. And hopefully, hopefully the college football playoff um, will accommodate. It, it would help a lot of leagues. And, you know, their jobs at stake. The, a Pac-12 TV game is worth five million bucks. Now Mountain West game isn't, but the Power Five... All the Power 5 football games are worth $5 million or more. These schools are laying people off. BYU just had layoffs earlier this week. Utah's already gone through layoffs. We've read a long list of schools who furloughed and laid people off. So, I don't know. Hopefully, the college football playoff will will bump it back three weeks, and then we'll see how many games that accommodates. You know, And and maybe there'd be a bunch of games postponed then, but anything they get in would be a positive, I think. Uh, We can debate this later in the show. we got to take a break right now. Uh, when we come back, we got to hear from our college football insider, Riley Jensen. And we also need to hear from David Nixon, the former BYU linebacker, and get their thoughts on the blowout over Boise State and on the, uh, uh, well, in case in Riley's case, look ahead to uh, the coaching change at Utah State. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. And it's time to talk BYU football right now with David Nixon, BYU TV football analyst, former BYU linebacker. David, good morning. Hey, what's going on, fellas? There are many things going on. When a team is 8-0, and everything about the team is interesting. When a team is, you know, 1-7 and or whatever, and it's like, ah, these guys suck. Nobody really wants to break down why they suck. But when they're good, people want to break it down. But before we get to that, I'm just curious – how much did you expect what you saw Friday night, and how much were you surprised by the way it turned into a complete blowout? I mean, I think we were all hoping that would be the result, be able to go out there and dominate, and, and especially with them trying to climb in the polls and, and continue to be relevant in this national landscape. Uh, but I didn't expect it. I thought it would be a closer game. I mean, all the games up there on the blue turf have been close games, uh, I and mean, frankly down here in Provo as well. So it's, it's similar to the youth, right? These rivalry games can go either way. Uh, and so I figured it's another year where you have a ranked Boise State team and, and keep it close. But from the get-go, uh, you, you could tell that BYU is out on a mission. And, and that's what this team's been doing all year. Um, you know, in the past, they've kind of played down to opponents and also played up to opponents like we saw with USC uh, last year. Uh, but this season is just different. I mean, they just go out there and they completely dominate. Uh, they're, they're not uh, lazy on, uh, you know, whether they're facing a UTSA or Texas State or Western Kentucky. Uh, but these guys come in locked in every week, uh, week in, week out, and they take care of business. I think that's the biggest difference with this team this year, and I think a lot of it has to do with senior leadership. Uh, and frankly, I think coaching. I think I give credit to Kalani and his staff for what they've done so far this year with these kids uh, because, honestly, it's been pretty impressive. So I want to ask a question from the defensive perspective but involve offense. And what I mean by off of BYU's offense is really clicking, obviously. So what difference does that make in terms of changes that you might be able to do? Maybe do some more creative stuff defensively because you know essentially your offense has your back. Now conversely, flip that because Boise State immediately was down to its third-team quarterback, so they probably weren't going to have success offensively. How does that change their defensive plan? Yeah, I, I think, uh, in fact, Elisa Tuyaki mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Uh, somebody asked him, hey, why is it this year you're getting so much more pressure uh, than, than we've seen in years past? And he kind of alluded to it. Didn't throw him completely under the bus, but basically alluded to the offense. The fact that the, the offense this year for BYU is put up more points, and they're more productive than they have been in years past. And so it allows the defensive staff to be more aggressive. Uh, because in years past, I think they felt like if they went in and they, they took a gamble and they got burned on it for a touchdown – they weren't very confident that this offense could, could respond and put up more points and, uh, and, and kind of put it back in a position to be equal or, or take the lead. And so I think this, this defense has been pretty tentative over the years uh, because the offense just hasn't really put the points and haven't been as productive. Uh, but now the, the tides turn. I think they have so much confidence in Zach and this offense. They say, listen, we can take gambles. If we get burned on them, so be it. Because, uh, you know, Zach's going to turn around and, and put points on the board. And, and I remember that being the case in my day, too, with John Beck and Max Hall. Uh, we could afford to take chances because we had so much confidence in the offense to go out there and put up points. Uh, and I think that's what you're seeing this year. And so it really opens up the whole playbook for, for the defense. And then offensively it opens up the playbook because you got so much confidence that, yeah, if, if you take a couple gambles, they don't pay off, it's all right. got the next series to come out there and, and keep doing your thing. So uh, it's, it's, been, uh, it's, it's been a fun season. I, like I said, you look at the trick plays, uh, the, the offense, you look at this last game, 
they lined up Tyler Algier as a wingback, did some flight sweeps to him. They did a lot of max protection to allow Zach some time to, to attack him downfield. Uh, it, was, it was a fun game plan that they put together and, of course, just absolutely dominated him. Let's not talk anymore about the offense. Those pretty boys get all the credit all the time, don't you think, David? I totally agree. Yeah, I 100% so. agree. David Nixon, former BYU linebacker, joining us. Uh, this secondary, if you compare it to other secondaries of the last 10 or 20 years, where would you rank it? How? Because I was watching that Boise game thinking – and, and you're getting a backup quarterback who I think is a quality a starter-level guy, so I didn't really think it going into the game. You know, oh, Jack Sears is the backup. Yeah, well, he's probably good enough to be the starter. But then they go to the third guy, and I'm like, okay, now this guy's not getting reps and hasn't played, and there's probably a drop-off here. So how much is the secondary really good? How does it compare to other years? How much is it circumstances? I, I've said before, I think this is Julia's strongest secondary they've had in decades. Uh and, and a lot of those due to the experience. I mean, keep in mind that three of the four guys, Dane Anderson, Troy Warner, Chris Wilcox, did not play last year uh, because of injuries. So they, they sat out last year, but these are guys that have been two, three-year starters. Uh, and so you sit out a whole year, you learn more about the defense. Obviously, you get you know older and wiser uh, when it comes to the game itself. Uh, and you have a whole year to sit there and watch more film and, and try to figure out the game. And they come back this year, and they've been absolutely you know, uh, fantastic, amazing on their side of the ball. Uh, with what they've done in that secondary. And, and what I like about it, we saw this in the Boise State game, BYU now has the ability, I feel like we've talked about this in weeks past, but they now have the ability to go from zone to man, back to zone, uh, and, and it allows that front seven, the defensive line and linebackers, to really be uh, aggressive with, with their rushing and, and what they're able to do. Uh, and so this secondary is huge, and the ability to, to switch up the looks uh, and, and switch up the play calling I think has been probably the most beneficial thing because you've got veterans back there that know what they're doing. You, that coaching staff can expect for those four guys, the DBs, to be in the right spot at the right time. And how about George Udo? This, the freshman comes in, he's played fantastic. He had a great uh, PBU in the end zone uh, there against Boise State, and, and he's been a force uh, in the run game as well to come up and, and force the run. So it's been fun. I, I think it's, like I said, I think it's one of the better secondaries. And, and because of their experience, it opens up the playbook for the defensive staff to bring some pressures because they got confidence, they got guys in the back end that will be able to defend and, and not allow the big deep balls. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. And Chris Wilcox, he's one guy that keeps jumping off the film. Uh, he had a big PBU that he, he guarded the receiver and the drug all the way across the whole field. And then he goes in right at the sideline and, and breaks up the pass with his upfield shoulder. I mean, just great technique all around. So, uh, it's fun to watch those guys, and, and they're, they're producing. Uh, you know, look at BYU, the pressure they're putting on the sacks and the turnovers. Uh, I think a lot of it is because of that secondary. So you look at week nine in the NFL, uh, and maybe I'm missing somebody, but I got four linebackers playing, if not starting, out of BYU and Taki Taki and Longy and Van Noy and Warner, and that's a pretty good representation. And back in your day, there was a bunch of them that played in the NFL also. So when you look at this group of linebacking core, do you see some NFL guys? I think Peyton Wilgar, just a youngster, just a sophomore, uh, I think he's a player. Uh, Peely, uh, Keenan Peely, he continues to, to show up on top of the tackles each week, uh, week in and week out. And so that's a kid who has some ability, especially that middle linebacker spot. Uh, but Isaiah Kapusi, I think Isaiah Kapusi will have a shot. I think for him it comes down to what his 40 time looks like. Uh, I think that will either you know, get him drafted or, or you know, depending on how he runs, uh, he'll be a free agent. But um, I think he's got the knack for the ball and those instincts that are, you know, are tough to come by. But, yeah, I think all those guys will have shots. Like I said, some are younger than others. Uh, 
but it is nice to see the BYU team, the defense, having some playmakers there at the linebacker spot. Uh, and I think what's impressive about this whole defense is they're in the right spots at the right time. And, and you don't have guys trying to do too much. Everyone's doing their assignment. Uh, and it results in, in what they're doing right now. I mean, Boise State only rushed for 61 yards. Uh, BYU completely shut them down, made them one-dimensional, uh, and, and really shut down the whole offense. And they had 310 total yards, 249 passing yards. Uh, but a lot of that came off kind of scrub minutes when they put up those couple touchdowns, those big chunk plays. So um, credit to this BYU defense because they've stepped up. I know the offense and Zach Wilson and, you know, Gunnar Romney, Dax Smith, all these big names you hear about, uh, they get a lot of attention. But, you know, that, that defense has been stellar this year, and, and, they're, and they're getting rewarded. They're a top-ten defense in the country right now. So – you know, it was uh, quite a big deal when Bronco started talking about, uh, you know, and I don't know, maybe he was burned out on four- and five-star prima donnas and maybe got burned by a high-end quarterback. But, you know, he wanted the, the gutty underachiever, and the team didn't have a lot of NFL guys. This team looks like it has a big number of NFL guys, certainly by BYU standards, but I really think by anybody's standards. How many NFL guys, and you can include the pretty boys on the offensive side of the ball now if you want, how many, how many guys do you think are absolutely NFL guys, and then in the next group, how many are maybe NFL guys, but certainly good college players, but maybe NFL guys? If you could give us, kind of put guys in those two groups. Well, I'll start offensively. Uh, of course, Zach Wilson, that's a no-brainer. Uh, I'd be interested to see if Gunnar Romney goes out this year with the numbers he's putting up and, and what he's doing out there in the film he's showing. Uh, you know, we talked about Zach leaving early, but Gunnar's only a junior. Uh, I sometimes think about him, whether he wants to go early, kind of like an Austin Colley we saw when Austin left early. Um, so we'll see about that. And then offensive line, I mean, Brady Christensen, uh, he's a no-brainer. And I think he goes as well as an underclassman as a junior. Uh, James Impey, uh, the center position, I know he's been banged up a little bit this year, but he's just a junior. Uh, who knows if he goes? Uh, so there's a lot of these underclassmen. There's, there's not really a lot of seniors on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, but, I, I mean, there's four names right there that, that are underclassmen that, that uh, you know, when I say underclassmen, they're juniors. Uh, that team may may have an opportunity to go. Uh, Matt Bushman, of course, who's not playing this year, he's, he's already declared that he's going. Uh, but defensively, of course, Kyrus Tonga, uh, he, there's no doubt he'll have a shot. The question is what round he goes in. I think he'll be uh, – I'll tell you what, the one play that's, that's – stuck out to me was the, when he caused a fumble against Boise State. And I mentioned on our After Further Review show on TV yesterday that uh, he, he made himself some money. And, and I know we mentioned in our pregame show that there were a lot of NFL scouts at this game, at that Boise State game. And they were all there probably looking to look at Zach. But what Kyrus Tonga did, he rushed the quarterback, he was double teamed, and then he retraced, came up the field, and stripped the quarterback from behind to cause a fumble eight yards down the field. I mean, that's big time for a big nose tackle. Uh, to show kind of his range and his ability to pursue. So I, I think uh, I think his his draft stock continues to rise. And then we talked about the secondary. I think Troy Warner, uh, for him, it's going to be also his 40 times, similar to Isaiah Kafusi, what 40 time he puts out there. Um, but, uh, you know, I think Chris Wilcox, with how tall he is, how long he is, I think he'll definitely have a shot. Uh, and then Isaiah Kafusi. So, you know, I think you look at this team, I think there's probably seven, eight guys, maybe nine that are in play. Uh, you know, per BYU tradition, because the return missionaries are a couple years older, uh, that kind of knack and that, that BYU gets. Uh, I think probably only half those get drafted, and the other half end up as free agents and and hopefully make camp. So um, we'll see. But it's it's. A, I mean, listen, when you go undefeated and and you've got your top ten, it sure helps everyone on the whole team, uh, including these seniors, to to get looks and potentially get drafted. So you talk about 
Katonga making some more money by the way he played. Now, this is a general question. It doesn't pertain particularly to BYU. Obviously, it involves BYU. But I've been saying this all along as some of these conferences in the Pac-12, they're running through the COVID thing, and there's games being canceled with the possibility of more games being canceled this week and next week and so forth and so on. And my thought is, hey, if you have to, because with class being online, like for instance, the Cal situation, if you got to move out of out of Berkeley to get these guys out on the field, it seems like well, some of these folks, you, you can't do that because that's just a bad look. These guys are not professionals. But yet you speak of guys having this opportunity to make money, and you were in that exact same situation, getting out on the field, showing these NFL people what you can do, and you were able to cash it in and play some in the NFL. To me, every week is a job audition, and I think we're overlooking the fact that some of these guys need to be out on the field to get some film that NFL people can look at them and so it's not such a big deal and so uh, unusual or maybe against what it should be that if they have to go to another town and just do school online these are job auditions they need to be out on the field 100% 100% you got to find ways to play a game and that's why I think BYU fans feel so fortunate that they've played eight games so far this year, right? I mean, it's uh, – and Kalani mentioned that week in and week out in his presser. It's just like, man, we, we, we're so grateful for one more opportunity because, to your point, uh, you know, there's a lot of teams, including Utah last week, a lot of teams are getting canceled uh, week in and week out, especially as these cases continue to rise. So, uh, you know, beyond that, you're right. I mean, every, every week for, for college football is an audition, and it's one more opportunity to go out there and prove that uh, you should be drafted higher or you should make more money or whatever it may be. And so – uh, when usually that's not really on your radar, that freshman, sophomore, maybe even junior year. But a lot of these kids, when you're seniors, uh, you know you're still, of course, playing for the team. But you have it back in the mind that listen, I got to get my stats, <laughs> and, right. and I think that's actually good for the team because it, it provides some motivation for a lot of these guys. And so, uh, if you're a school, you got to find a way to showcase. And of course, the schools, the interests are aligned here, right? The schools know that they need to make some money uh, by putting these kids on the field. That's how the programs make money, and so. Uh, I think I think like I said, the interests are aligned there. It's just it's just find a way to make it happen. And if you're Cal, I saw that news come out as well. Uh, you you know create your own bubble, whatever it may be. You got to find a way to play on Saturdays because nobody gets paid if you're not. David Nixon joined us, BYU TV, former BYU linebacker, and for the next three minutes, the BYU athletic director. That's right. Move <laughs> over, Tom Homo. David Nixon's calling the shots. Question: We've been debating here. Now that the Cougars are eight and zero and ranked eighth in the country, and I gotta be, I gotta say, I'm surprised when they redid the schedule late August, early September. I didn't think they could get this much mileage out of this schedule, but they've won. They've blown almost everybody out. UTSA is the exception. They are eighth in the country. I thought for sure that they would slash should add a game in either Thanksgiving weekend or that first week in December when they have back to back buys. But PK brought this up that maybe they shouldn't. They've gotten so much mileage, they've positioned themselves well for the New Year's Six. We're seeing some of the national riders already matching them up theoretically in games. Uh, and those guys probably are flying blind. They've probably talked to somebody, have a little bit of a hint what, what they think about the Cougar team. So you, temporary AD David Nixon, would you add a game in that double, those back-to-back bye weeks? So I'll be honest, I am literally split on this decision right now. And I've debated out both scenarios uh, at length. Here's the thing. Uh, you, you obviously want to make the New Year six. And that's something that BYU hasn't done for, I mean, in independence. And it's been decades. Um, and, and so you're, you've got the national relevance now. 
why go mess it up? That's, I think that's one argument, right? Why go mess it up and schedule uh, Cincinnati or um, even a Marshall, one of these teams that could, you could slip up and, and basically ruin your season, right? Especially when that payday, when you're an independent, keep in mind that payday on the New Year's Six, that all goes to, to BYU. You don't have to split it with your conference. Uh, but that payday is a big deal for BYU, especially in a year uh, when, when COVID and layoffs and everything else are, is going on. And that's a huge boost to the athletic program. Uh, so that's one, that's one dilemma. And then the other one is saying, okay, do we want to try and make the, the next jump to, to try to push our way into the playoff? Um, and, and if you do, then you have to go play a Cynthia or a Marshall or even some type of P5 that gets canceled because of COVID. Uh, and, and once again, that could spoil your season. But the flip side of that is, you know, you go play a you go play a Clemson or an Alabama. There is the number four seed versus the one seed, uh, and a lot of people are saying, "Well, you get thrashed. Like that wouldn't even be fun. It wouldn't be competitive." Listen, if there's any year to do it, it's this year because we've seen with Clemson and Trevor Lawrence being out because of COVID. Uh, you never know what's going to happen come come game time, right? You never know if somebody's going to get COVID again, and next year the, the playing field's level. So it's just a weird year. I, I me just inside of caution, I'd probably say play out your schedule. Maybe you get one more team in there. Uh, maybe another conference USA or, or you know, MAC team or, or not MAC, but, uh, you know, one of these other conferences uh, to play. And then you just play out your schedule and you move on to New Year's Six. That, that'd be my thing. But listen, if you're Tom, you want to get a little more risky, why not roll the dice a little bit and, and go up against, try to schedule one of these Cincy's or Marshall's, one of these teams uh, that would benefit both teams, right? I mean, if you look at Marshall and Cincy, they'd be BYU. That's a huge boost to them as well. So uh, I think both athletic uh, directors would, would bring it on. But, um, I don't know. I err on the side of just keeping the schedule as it is. And you, you mentioned it, right, um, DJ? I mean, the reason BYU is ranked as high as they are this year is because they're taking care of business. It's not like they're barely eking out wins right here and right now. They're 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 dominating. And Kirk Herbstreit mentioned the same thing. He goes, "Listen, these guys they can't control their schedule, uh, and and they just play the teams that are there, but they're absolutely dominating them." And so that's why I think everyone's taking notice of this BYU team. Um, and I th- like I said at the beginning of the show, that I think that's the most impressive thing about this team is that they're not playing down to their opponents and they're not playing up. Uh, they've just been playing up consistently, and and they go out there and they dominate week in week out, uh, which is a sign of a, obviously a really good team. I have a good level of confidence they'll get in that New Year's Day, but it's not New Year's Day, but uh, we call it that the New Year's Six this year if they go 10-0, and zero, because I think that Zach Wilson is a sexy name in college football. I think people want to see different teams rather than seeing the same teams every time. And so I feel very confident. What's your level of confidence? I, I'm pretty confident as well. Uh, I think, uh, once again, with, with the attention Bill he's gotten this year, I think any type of New Year's Six bowl game will want to have BYU there. The, the bummer is you saw a kind of projections come out yesterday that potentially a BYU versus Cincy game on the New Year's Six, which – which I think is robbing all college football fans. I think everybody wants to see kind of the, the little guy go up against the P5 and, and beat them, right? And they just the more chaos in this whole college football playoff and bowl games, I think the better because, of course, I mean, I'm one. I think everybody's on the same boat, in the same boat. They want to have an expanded playoff and get up to eight teams. And so the more the, the, you know, the, the smaller guys can beat up the bigger guys, the better. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But I, I am pretty confident, like I said, especially with what BYU's done. And I think they'll continue to roll through North Alabama and San Diego State. Um, and I think they'll definitely have a shot. It's, well, and especially because these teams at the front of them are going to continue to beat each other up. Look what happened to Georgia last week, right? You know, you jumps Georgia because they got uh, beat up. And so um, there'll still be some, some teams lose here and there. And, and once again, because of COVID, your star quarterback, Mac Jones for Alabama, could go out uh, with COVID. You just don't know. And next thing you know, they're taking a, taking a loss. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And same thing with BYU. Obviously, they could get hit with a 
COVID bugs. So far, they've been able to avoid it. Um, and the fact that they played seven straight games, it's just unbelievable. Uh, and, and, and credit to the players, something that we don't talk about a lot, credit to the players for being disciplined and, and staying away from the parties and, and making sure they social distance and, and wear their mask and do everything because they realize, going back to our conversation earlier, they realize it's one more audition for them with these NFL scouts to get out there and show what they can do. So um, I'm fortunate to, fortunate to have played eight games so far this year and hopefully we get two more, maybe, maybe one more. We'll see. You know, the only thing I disagree with you there is uh, you want to see the little guy beat up the big guy. I want to see that, but the people who control this are the big guys, and they don't want to see that, and they're going to prevent it by making sure big guys play big guys and little guys play little guys. That way, they, the last thing they need is for BYU to take down a Pac-12 champ and Cincinnati to take down a Big 12 champ. They, they don't want any part of that. No, of course not. And that's the same thing they did to TCU Boise State a few years back. Yep. Yeah, they don't play each other. Together. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, it would suck if that happened. Uh, hopefully it doesn't. But, uh, listen, New Year's 6 and New Year's 6, like I said, the payout's big time. I think BYU would obviously welcome that. And, uh, you know, you at least mark that one down and, and potentially go undefeated this year. I mean, that'd be huge for recruiting and moving forward with the program for sure. Well, David, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. And we will uh, we'll talk to you going forward. Okay, sounds good. Take care, folks. There's David Nixon. When we come back, Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We're joined now by our college football insider, former Utah State quarterback, Riley Jensen. Riley, good morning. Hey, what's happening, fellas? There are many things happening, but why don't we start with your alma mater where there has been a coaching change just three games into the season. Of course, they weren't just three losses. They were three demoralizing losses or they're blown out every time. Uh, Were you a little surprised? Not at all surprised? I can't imagine you were a lot surprised. Um, I, I don't think I was a lot surprised um a little surprised mostly at the timing right so i thought i thought maybe this would be thought maybe this would be the last year especially if it continued along the route that it was on um but not completely surprised so i look there was there were some things that i that i knew about that you know that that were indicators that maybe things weren't weren't great and then there were things that i didn't know about that uh indicated that they wanted to speed up the process. So it's it's always interesting when it comes to these sorts of things. Um, the, the reason why you fire when you fire, the reason that you're trying to get it together. I mean, maybe they're, maybe they're hoping to do a national search. Maybe they're hoping to get as many candidates in and really interview the people and really have like a good process so that they can get the best possible coach. And you know, it's, it's, in some ways, it's a little bit of a different process this year because of COVID and because these teams are, you know, just playing real quickly that um, they, they kind of need to get on top of it. Because although this feels like it was only three games into the season, it's really, you know, what are we, November 11th today? And, you know, that's 
that's where I think that uh, where the, where the timing aligns is that it's really about you know the timing of getting another recruiting class in, making sure that everything's good to go with whoever the new coach is going to be, and that they're able to get the recruiting class in that they want and start and start heading in the right direction. So two years ago, you're winning 11 games. How did it get to this point? <laughs> That's a tough question because I'll tell you where I'll tell you where I was where I started like really scratching my head last year is when Woody went out as a middle linebacker. The defense was completely different. Like it was, it wasn't even close. Um, obviously, we. We still had a quarterback, and we had some of those things, but the defense was just not was not good. And I, that's where I really started to notice the depth. And I don't know if that's a result of you know the last coaching staff leaving them with not as much as they want, or Gary not being able to get the players in that he wanted in the beginning. But right now, if I were to be critical of Utah State, I'd be critical of the depth. The depth is what's concerning to me. Um, and, and in some ways, we've taken a step back even where some of the starters are. There's there's some starters that are playing right now that I'm scratching my head going, okay, in the last 10 years, we've had two 11 and two seasons. We've been to, I think, nine bowl games. Utah State has played at, a, at probably the highest level of football they've played ever. And some of these players look a little bit more like the players that were starting when I was playing. And I, I'm not trying to rip on my teams because uh, they were okay. You know what I mean? But it's, I used to look out at a Utah State football team and I'm like, oh, man, we look like a Division One team. I don't feel that way this year when I look at some of the players that are starting. So there's a thought among some of the people I talked to that the Mountain West has done a poor job of switching up the crossover games and that one set of crossover games is way harder than the other and that 3-9 and nine are 0-3. and three. It's no mistake that they come four years apart because they're back to this nasty crossover schedule. And it's not an accident the way the 9, 10, and 11 – when teams show up because they're getting cake schedules. How much of this is scheduled and driven and cyclical because the way the Mountain West has divvied things up? Well, I think, I think it is cyclical a little bit, but if you're a good team, you don't care about cyclical. If you're if you're a good football, do you think Boise State, San Diego State, Fresno State, who are typically up there at the top of the Mountain West Conference, do you think they care like what the crossover looks like? They don't care. You just go and win games. So, yeah, I mean, you, you can use it as an excuse if you want to. And, when I mean, when I saw the schedule come out for the University of Utah and for Utah State, I was like, ooh, that's not a good schedule for Utah State. And I was like, ooh, that's a pretty good schedule for Utah. So, so yeah, do I, do I think the schedule is tougher? No question. But if, if you're one of the better teams – you certainly don't care about who you're crossing over with, and you certainly compete a lot harder than, than what Utah State's competed uh, in the last three games. So uh, to me, yeah, you, you can make all the excuses you want, but Utah State's not where they were two years ago, and, I, and it's just hard to get a grasp on how it could slip away that quick. Yeah, I agree 100%. 
looking at the coaching situation, I'm of the belief that the schools in our state are best served by getting someone who has some tor- some form of a local tie. doesn't necessarily have to be a tie to that particular school, a la Gary Anderson when he first went to Utah State, but has to have a local tie. Best served. I mean, you can go outside and still do very well. But when I look at the best production, except for Urban Meyer's uh, hurricane that blew through town for a couple of seasons, other than that, the best guys have had some some kind of local connection and understood what they were getting into. What do you think of that? Well, I, I think it helps. I, I don't think there's any question that this needs to be a hire that understands the LDS community. This is a hire that needs to understand the Polynesian community. This is a this is a hire that needs to understand where to get what players. And so when you're talking about local ties, you know, those those coaches usually understand those three things fairly well. Um, you know, it feels like to me that Lavelle Edwards understood the LDS athlete, the Polynesian athlete, he understood how to tie things in together really, really well. When Ron McBride started to win, he he basically replicated the the same thing that Lavelle Edwards was doing, and that's when he started beating Lavelle every once in a while and, and making that into a sort of a rivalry there. And then I think Urban was only there for a couple of years, so it was already really established through Ron McBride, and then obviously Kyle Whittingham understands that kind of stuff. So Kyle has done a great job, and if you go to his recruiting pitches, I mean, he literally talks about the diversity. He talks about one-third African-American, one-third Polynesian, one-third white kids on the team. He talks about the LDS missionaries. He talks about all those different things. Now, Kyle has evolved on that where maybe he doesn't take as many in-state kids, but he still built it on that foundation. And I think guys like Jay Hill at Weber State have replicated that. I think Kalani's replicated that. I think Gary Anderson and Matt Wells, their first times through, really replicated that. And I I do think that that's important to understand um, that that those are – that's a winning formula for the state of Utah. And, you know, other teams are making it a little bit more difficult for Kyle Winningham because they're coming in after the top players in the state. But I think where that's really benefited some teams – is Kyle's had to go out of state to get some of his his big players or the players that he really wants. But that has left BYU, Utah State, and Weaver State, and even Southern Utah to a certain degree, um, the ability to use that formula and win, and, and win a lot. I mean, Jay Hill, I mean, you know, I know it's just in Ogden, and I know that it's, you know, just just up the road here. But you're talking about a quarterfinal and a semifinal. I mean, top four team in the country two years in a row. I mean, he's he's doing the right things. Now, I'm not making a push either way. But if Jay Hill was there, I think that would be a great hire. If if Morgan Scally was there, I think that would be a great hire. If Ed Lamb was there, I think that would be a great hire. If Grimes was there, I I mean, I think a lot of those guys that you're talking about that are local, Aaron Roderick, I think he would be a great hire. I think – all of those guys understand what it takes to win in the state of Utah, and everything's relative. I mean, Weaver and Southern Utah are relative to their conference. Utah State's relative to their conference. BYU's relative to their independence. But that formula seems to be working. So I, 
I, I think you're right. I think I think a local tie would be great. I wouldn't be surprised though <laughs> if Hartwell goes out to that um, that national. There's 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 kind of a national firm that helps you hire coaches, and he landed big with Craig Smith um, in the basketball program. Now I think basketball is way different than football for a lot of different reasons. We could do a whole different show on that, but. I wouldn't be surprised if he opens this up to a national search as well. So the Utes are getting ready to kick off against uh, UCLA. And I don't know if you can tell us anything about this game because Kyle said that they're getting scout team guys ready. And, of course, we don't know which players, we don't know which position groups have been hit the hardest. So are you just going to go flying blind in this UCLA game? If for no other reason UCLA is playing their second game and you're supposed to improve the most the week from one to two, from one to two and this will be the Utes opener, and we don't know which you players are playing. So are you just going to turn on the TV and enjoy football and not try to figure it out? Yeah, I think I am, and I, I actually think, uh, and I, I'm, I listen, I have no inside information here, but I think that's almost the way that the Utes have to turn this in their head, right? Like, they've missed one game. The rumors that I'm hearing, and this is all just rumor stuff, <clears throat> is that for every single game missed, it costs $5 million yes. to each program. That's true. Uh, you, you're getting that through the echo chamber because their, their AD came on the air and said a Pac-12 TV game is worth $5 million. Just in the TV. Not set aside whatever yes. you get at the gate and concessions and all that, but just in the TV contract. And that's yeah, so, straight out of Mark so, Harlan's mouth. Okay. So I, and, and I'd heard that from other places, but that's okay. I'm glad, I'm glad that it's – but to me – now, if you're Kyle and you're looking at this, you're like, well, we don't want to lose out on that money, right? Sure, I'll play the scout team. I don't care. This season doesn't mean anything to me. It's a shortened season. It doesn't matter. Let's just get guys on the field and go from there. Now, I don't know how many guys have COVID-19. I don't know how many guys are just hurt. I, I have no idea what's going on up there. But to me, at a certain point as a coach, and the, the only thing that throws this theory back in my face is obviously Gary Anderson is, I mean, it, you you have to have a pretty convincing story to fire somebody during COVID nineteen, and I just don't think Kyle Winningham's. I mean, he just signed. He just resigned. There's no way that he's going to lose his job over a bad COVID season. And so, to me, I think he's just like, well, let's just put whatever we can. Let's build some depth here. And let's get ready for next year because they've already missed one game, right? He doesn't want to miss out on the money that's going on. And I and I'm not saying that he would ever put the health of the players, and I'm talking about COVID and those sorts of things. I, I, there's no way that he would ever do something like that. But if he feels like he can field the team and it's less than desirable, I think he'll do it this year. It means too much money to the program. It means too much money to a lot of different things. And so I wouldn't be surprised if this is just one of those seasons where you just need to enjoy the fact that there's football on and that there's some semblance of of, of regularity and kind of move forward into next year and maybe get excited about some of these walk-ons or somebody that actually can make a play in a big game and then move forward. Yeah, that's exactly the way I view it. I mean, I already think the race in the Pac-12 is bogus. You can't win a division, in my mind, only playing five games. <laughs> that's And that's exactly at best is what's going to happen for Utah, what's going to happen for Cal, and we know the games that have been canceled with the possibility of more to come. So why not just use this season as a preparatory 
to next year and get as many guys out there as you possibly can to give them experience going forward to next year because it's really hard for me to look at it and say, wow, you went 4-1. and one. You're a divisional winner. Right. I, I, I can't get behind that. It, it doesn't make any sense. And, um, you know, from everything that I'm reading and looking at, the Pac-12 is much more stringent on whether – you can play that week or not. Right, it right? is. Than some yeah, other conferences. Yeah. So it's kind of like, as a coach, in some ways it's a no-win situation. You just kind of throw your hands in the air and go, well, look, I already know what I'm getting out of all my starters, and I know what I have coming back. And there may be some guys that I play because I want them to get a little bit better. But why not play some younger guys? Why not find out you know, how this guy plays under pressure? Because it, it's the best way to simulate pressure for young guys right now is these games. And you already know what some of your older guys can do under pressure and in in game situations, so why not build the program? So did BYU surprise you the way they completely annihilated Boise State in that third quarter? I mean, they already had the upper hand, but then they just blew it wide open. Yes. Completely, completely surprised. I think it's a combination of two things. BYU's even better than I thought they were. And I don't think Boise is as good as they have been. Now, I'm not saying that's not a good team. So don't, before BYU fan drives off the road listening to this, I'm not trying to take away from the win at all. Because sure. I thought it was, it was <laughs> an annihilation, right? But I, I don't feel like this is a Boise team in their front seven that's been as physical and as punishing as some teams have been. Now, that could be a result of, of how good BYU is. But, man... It's it's a really fun brand of football that BYU's playing right now. And to watch Zach Wilson play at the level that he's playing, I mean, I have to go back just like I did last week and just I, I kind of thought it through just even a little bit more about Aaron Roderick and why I think he deserves so much credit. And one of the reasons why I think he deserves so much credit is because I think it takes a very confident and seasoned coach to allow a quarterback to play like Zach Wilson is playing. Because the fact of the matter is Zach is being Zach, and he is as authentic, and he is as as good as he can be right now because he's allowed to play that way. He's allowed to make an underhand throw. He's allowed to make a sidearm throw. He's allowed to jump over the top of a defender. And that's not easy for a coach to accept because if that goes wrong on you, everybody's like, why in the world would they let Zach Wilson do that, right? And then all of a sudden they start looking at coaches and they're like, why, why would you let him do that? Well, when it's going well, it's great. You know what I mean? But somebody has to allow him to play like that to begin with. And I think the more and more I'm looking at it, Aaron Roderick deserves a lot of credit for allowing Zach to be Zach. Zach is a football player, and, and to be honest with you right now, and – Look, my brothers kill me a little bit because they're not as they're not as big a BYU fans, but they're like, "Oh, this love affair with Zach Wilson, Riley. What, what's your deal?" I'm just telling you, if I could draw up a quarterback right now, that's exactly how it looks. I mean, that's exactly how it looks. He can make all the throws. He can throw on the run. He can run for. He could. Pro- they could probably run him a ton, but they don't. But he beats you with his feet within the context of the offense. I mean, I. I don't think you can draw it up better. Now, whether he'll win the Heisman, who freaking cares? I, I think he's I think he's a first-round draft pick. If he's not, he's going high in the second round. And this kid is off to the races, and he's going to have an opportunity to play in the NFL for a long time. 
He's Riley Jensen. He's our college football insider. Aggie coaching change. Utes losing guys left and right. BYU has got a first-round quarterback. There you go. A few hot takes. Way to go, Riley. (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining us. I think you guys led me into that. Thanks for throwing me some softballs. No problem. We'll talk to you next week. (laughs) Thanks, guys. There's Riley Jensen, our college football insider. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.